Buongiorno and welcome to my Way Thinking podcast, or more what for short, hosted by me, Lee Greeno here, live from the Man Cave every week. Hope you're doing well. Now, this is part two of the Mental Health Week, um, which is a special, slightly different to the other episodes that I usually do where we're talking journey. This is all about your mental health and offering advice, and I'm speaking to three of the best specialists. Yesterday, we spoke to Victoria English, fascinating woman lovely woman met the queen three times keep saying that uh if you want to look if you haven't listened listen back to that because that is a great episode now today i'm speaking to robert chandler robert chandler's a lovely guy he's working a lot with the community at the minute and we met up and we spoke uh about what he can uh, what he's doing with sky blues in the community and offering health to help to men's health but he also has some great advice for everybody out there and he is a lovely lovely chap cracking character so make sure you listen to this all the way to the end now the, the chat is on youtube as well so remember it's on apple Podcasts. if you go in there leave five star ratings on youtube as well if you put more way thinking podcast into anywhere we pop up um there's some amazing journeys on past episodes as well if you have a listen i had a guy from marriage at first sight matt that was a fascinating insight we've also got filmmakers on there giles alderson from the filmmaker podcast he was on uh, we've got people who are stru- uh, mental health experts which is this week but also we've had them previously as well people you've got fascinating journeys we've got some brilliant journeys coming up so just make sure you keep listening in so like i say we had uh english uh, english victoria english yesterday Blah. we've got robert today and then tomorrow we've got sarah sarah mccaffrey so make sure you listen to that as well all good advice we all need it listen in trust me okay this is me talking to the brilliant robert so welcome to my way of thinking this morning and we do have a very special guest on this morning part of the mental health week which I promised you and we'll be talking about uh, today. It is Robert Chandler. Woo! Welcome, Robert. <laughs> Thank you. Hello. From my neck of the woods, Coventry, Royal Coventry. <laughs> Have you always lived in Coventry, Robert? Yeah, all my life, yeah. Born and bred Coventry. Um, so it's nice to be kind of in and around it still and, and not having moved away. What do you think about uh, Sky Blues this season? I think... We've done all right. I think we need to start picking up points. I think today's an important game. Um, yeah. Unlucky last time out. But it's it's getting to the crunch end now. I was looking at the table and, and thinking, we've got a few teams under us with games in hand. Yeah. Actually, we haven't got that much distance than it looks. So. It's, it's dice, isn't it? I mean, I'll follow Sky, I've always followed Sky Blues. and I, did, I haven't gone been and seen them as much as I'd like to. Mm. Uh, but I do. I love it. Every guy, Whenever you do go for a game, it's always an event, isn't it? <laughs> Oh, definitely. It's a whole day thing. It's just, I think that's the shame of it being over in Bur- over at St. Andrews. Oh, yeah. It's a pain in the arse. Yeah. Now, um, I was just saying to yourself, if people, this podcast goes out on all the usual platforms, but it also goes on YouTube if people want to see our pretty faces. Uh, <laughs> now, I've got a big shine here, which I have to keep explaining on the podcast. It wasn't anything uh, adventurous. I just walked into a top. Uh, and obviously, I can't really do anything anyway because we're stuck at home. <laughs> So that's for people if they are watching. Right, well, thanks ever so much for coming on today. Now, usually the podcast is all about people's journeys and we go quite in depth. And obviously, I want to know about what you've been up to and how you got to where you are. Uh, But this is more about offering advice and just thrashing out mental health because the reason I wanted to do this is I noticed that people are struggling a lot more than the previous lockdown. This lockdown 
people that never say they were struggling have said to me, yeah, I'm really struggling on this one. So, and I've, I've said this before, regardless of the level of struggle, everybody's struggling. So even people that are not really feeling it are still struggling in some way because we're locked down again. We had a taste of freedom. And even if you're still at work, similar to us, you still, you still feel it. Um, and that was the reason I wanted to do this. So tell us, first of all, tell us a bit about how you started off in, in mental health and how you got involved and where you, where you studied. Yeah, so it, I, th- I suppose it started at, at school, really. I think a general intrigue as to kind of psychology and what it was all about. And it's a big, it's a big word and it's, it's almost kind of <laughs> baffling. It's, it's Greek and it, it just seems quite cool. And often at school, I'd be the, the kind of person that people would talk to or they end up just kind of spilling their problems. And <laughs> I found that I was just quite good at listening and, and not necessarily, sometimes you don't have to offer advice. You just need that ear and to be there for people to feel comfortable talking to you. Yeah. And so, you know, I thought I'll give this a go, give it a, give it a go at A-level and see if I like it. And um, I, I really enjoyed it. I found it fascinating, the kind of different, models and different ways and approaches of looking at things and and the history as well because it's got a young history but an interesting history when you think about freud and and kind of misconceptions there and where it all kind of started um so yeah it's just something i found really interesting and then decided to take kind of further at at degree level so kind of after my a levels i decided to stay local um, and went to warwick and just more so fell in love with kind of the abnormal psychology and the clinical aspects to it. And, and again, was going through a period of time where people were still kind of looking to me for advice and talking to me. And it's still something I felt really comfortable doing and being able to offer. And I think throughout that period, there were definitely kind of times where I struggled with my mental health through university and knew people that were also kind of struggling. Yeah. And I think that really helped me develop and grow that, kind of passion for wanting to come out the other side of my education and and go and work hands-on in that kind of clinical environment and make a difference and have an impact for the community it's interesting isn't it i speak to a lot of people and um, some people will go through school not having a clue what they're going to do they'll fall into it but then others like you just had a spark at school and thought wow and i think that's great when people get that sort of Um, epiphany if you like that this is what I want to do because then when you're studying at university you're on the you're on the right path already some people go into further education they're not quite sure but I think that's a great way that you fell into it that people just wanted to talk to you Mm. I suppose I suppose you always thought as you were at university I thought right this is I suppose it's a nice build-up because you're thinking what I'm doing the harder I work I don't mind how hard I have to work at university because this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. Yeah, I think I got really lucky. And I think the education system, I think people have to choose at a very young age what where their life is going to go. Yeah. I think it's almost, it's a bit forced, isn't it? And it's a yeah. big decision to have to make as a kid. Um, so I definitely was fortunate. And I think I get probably get a little bit from my dad as well because he'd always say that he was the person that, he'd sit on a bus and someone would sit next to him and open their life up and, and talk to him. So yeah, must be something about this. Must be <laughs> You've got one of those faces. <laughs> <laughs> but, and he, I mean, he, he, he's worked for the Samaritans and done bits and bobs and kind of done what, what he can do for the community. And I think right. that's probably, yeah, probably get a little bit from him, but yeah. it, like I say, just lucky to have fallen into it and just kept going and going and going at it. What was the course like at Warwick? Was it difficult? 
it had its challenges. Um, psychology is more statistically and scientifically focused than I think people realise. It's it's very much a evidence based practice and uh, it's rigorous. It's um, yeah, it, it was a stressful course, and I think that's where I struggled at times because I am very much a kind of perfectionist and I want to succeed, and I think often if we have that mindset we're not very kind to ourselves and I went through thinking right I need to get a first class degree and if, it, if it's below like 80% I'm not too chuffed with it and it needs to be to a you know to a really high standard and I think pushing myself and pushing myself and pushing myself I kind of lapsed on that kind of self-care and being kind to myself and cutting myself a break um, and kind of now I'm further down the kind of psychology journey and able to look at these models and theories and therapies where it's like, yeah, you know, if you're critical and you say I'm a failure or I'm not achieving X, Y, and Z, you, you put yourself in threat mode because yeah. that's how we, our brains, we want to survive. So automatically we're being critical to ourselves. We feel threatened. We feel anxious. Yeah. And, yeah. So that was, that, that's what was going on for me at the time, but I just didn't realize it. I just wasn't giving myself a break, just striving for that perfectionism. It's um, ironic. It's ironic, isn't it, that one of the biggest problems we we have as human beings is to do with mental health, and the majority of the time we put it all on ourselves. We beat ourselves up about it. You know, uh, we are our worst critique. <laughs> it's quite um, ironic. <laughs> no, definitely. And we have. So, if you think about it in terms of like three systems, like a threat system, a drive system, and a soothing system, we're really good at using our threat and drive systems but we never or, or we ignore or underuse our soothing system, which is that kind of, let's not be critical to ourselves. Let's be compassionate. Let's do things we enjoy. Let's take a break. Let's schedule some time to be mindful or do X, Y, and Z. We just don't tend to do it. It's not, doesn't seem to be part of the chaotic world that we live in. Yeah. I think that's the other thing is the way the world spins is just so fast now. It's just stress induced. As soon as you drop out in mother's womb, it's, it's stress yeah. induced. And now with technology and social media, it's, it's really hard to navigate all that, isn't it? It is. And it's, I think life comes with, with all of those stresses. And one thing that I often say in therapy is that that, that will never change. You can develop mental health problems and the bumps will, will come regardless. You could be perfectly well and you'll have the bumps or you could be struggling with depression, anxiety and have the bumps. The bumps are going to be there. It's like yeah. waves. waves. The waves won't stop. You just need to learn how to surf. And I think <laughs> kind of, it's, it, it, it's, it's the perfect analogy because I think you need to kind of recognise what you're doing and what you're not doing and what things you can put in place to support you to get over and get through those bumps. Yeah. And I think kind of knowing that like like i say myself i'm a perfectionist and i, I want to achieve and do well and always get my 100 percent is actually stepping back and reminding myself that it's okay if i don't and i'm trying my best and that's good enough and yeah that's a good that, point you know tapping out of that criticism then reduces my anxiety because i'm no longer attacking myself and threatening myself it just allows yeah. me to kind, of, kind of soothe and push through yeah. Now, so you finish at Warwick and you're all ready to go on to the road of a brilliant career. So what sort of happened then? I got really lucky. I got very lucky. Um, I worked so throughout my undergrad. I worked, well, throughout my A-levels as well. So I've always worked. I've always kind of, and again, there's that kind of drive to do something and get out there. I worked at um, a local business in Coventry, a uh, lighting shop. I'm not sure if I can say the name, but I worked there for... <laughs> five six years um 
and one of my colleagues, um, an old boy, um, he, he just kind of asked me, "What you know? What do you want to do with your life?" And I said, "Well, this is what I'm focused on. I want to do psychology. I want to go to uni, X, Y, and Z." And he turned around to me after probably three or four years of knowing this, and he said, "Oh, by the way, my um, a relation of mine is is a psychologist at the local trust." And I said. All right, Pete, you've not mentioned this over the last four years. Tell me a little <laughs> bit more. And it turns out she was the, the clinical lead at the um, secondary mental health service in Coventry. So it's IPU 328, the community mental health and wellbeing team. Yeah. Um, so he said, oh, well, I'll have a chat with her and see if we can, you know, you can get that conversation. And it took him ages to have this this chat. I you know, used to ring him and be like, oh, did you manage to you know, yeah. speak, speak to her? Um, but it materialised in the end. So um, kind of just as I was graduating in that final year, uh, managed to sit down with with this clinical lead and, and basically just get some kind of career advice and, and advice as to how to get into it. And unfortunately, with psychology, it's so competitive. I think it's the yeah. second most uh, taken up degree in the country. Right. Um, so everyone is kind of, and clinical is very popular within that. So, yeah everyone is trying to force themselves down that same route of becoming a clinical psychologist or getting in the room with one. It's really difficult. Yeah. So kind of having that opportunity to sit in the room and have an hour with this person was, was just very fortunate. Um, and so she kind of was a, was a guide and, and told me that there was a number of options that I could do. Some things would take a long time. Some things would be, would be easy. Um, and basically from that meeting, she offered me a position um, in that team as an honorary assistant psychologist, which is basically a really fancy title for a, volu- a volunteer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so uh, unpaid, um, but kind of getting your foot in the door in a big way. Yeah. So I did that for about nine months, I think, worked unpaid um, and just really kind of learned my learned a lot of the basics i learned how the nhs works how secondary healthcare works how little things like um clinical systems and recording and risk management and everything that you kind of have to to know and what to look out for and then um it was kind of instrumental in building my therapeutic skills so it was the first time i'd kind of gone and co-led group work and had a number of individuals with, with really quite complex needs in a room um and kind of being able to see and, and practice that therapeutic aspect of the work in a, in a group setting. Um, so it was just, it was just a fantastic experience and a great way for me to, to learn and grow as a psychologist and to figure out what it was all about. And I suppose as well, whether it was actually what I wanted to do, because you can kind of have a vision and say, I want to go out and help people and, and do X, Y, and Z. And I'm really interested in it. And then you get in the work environment and, it's incredibly stressful and it's underfunded and it, it's emotionally um, difficult work. But actually I, I found that I could kind of cope with all that and I loved it. Um, yeah. And you know, even the, so a lot of my role was when I came in and it's interesting, the NHS, it can often be a system that's quite stuck. So I came in and they had a referral pathway, the way they kind of operated. And I just looked at it and I remember saying to the, to the clinical lead, why do you do that? Like, I mean, if there's any, if there's an inefficient way of doing things, it's what you're doing. Because <laughs> we've always done it that way. Yeah, no, this is it, and it, it just didn't make sense to me. I said, look, let's let's put in a, a new pathway. So I <clears throat> 
essentially from the ground up built an entire new referral process pathway the way they were received where they sat and where they went how it was all managed so within that <clears throat> i decided to analyze the last kind of three years of data look at all of the patients um over that course that had been referred in and see what kind of journey they had how long um they were in therapy how long they had to wait and just get an idea as to what the service was doing and how long we were interacting with people for because the waiting lists and comments are quite long yeah, so it's, yeah it's, it's kind of trying to get those wait times down yeah um and but in doing that i got to read hundreds and hundreds of individual case studies and kind of get to grips with and, and notice patterns in in people's journeys and, and the prevalence of trauma and how trauma is, is you know really instrumental in kind of causing mental and causing it's, and sustaining it's interesting what you what you've just said because you finish university and i think this is good good advice for anyone that's going through university is the fact that you finish university and that was just the beginning i think some people go to university they'll finish university they'll fall into a great job make loads of money job done it's not like that at all it's really interesting that you came out of university you still had to find a job you volunteered and got that experience so you're still not earning money but you put the work in and i think it's so important you still have to put the work in and gain that experience university is just foundation really and without that experience you're building your way up but it doesn't happen overnight and i think that's important that you put that hard work in isn't it without a doubt i mean i can't speak for well I'll touch on this after, but psychology in particular. Um, I mean, I was watching a a video a couple of days ago. I think one one bloke was kind of discussing his experience after graduating psychology, and he put something like 150 applications in for. <laughs> Is that all? <laughs> yeah. And I didn't didn't hear anything back. Um, or, or got rejected. I think they had uh, seven or eight interviews. Didn't get accepted on. It's a, it's incredibly difficult to get into and get onto those kind of posts. People spend years kind of yeah. in, in care homes and, and as HCAs and kind of building a clinical basis before they can even be considered for, for an AP post. So as I say, I was, I was very lucky, but prepared to kind of go in and say, right, I'll work for free and I'll do it for a long time to get yeah. my foot in the door. And and, got uh, you. Yeah. It's got you way. Well. Now the interesting thing is we sort of connected up, but in putting things out there to people through social media and that, and I've got some other specialists on, we got connected through uh, sky blues in the community. So that's where you are today, which is really interesting because you're involved in the community and you're interested in this no new program. Now we're talking about mental health, the new program that you're doing, uh seems to me that some of it is activity based some of it is talking some of it's learning experiences which is so important because mental health is not just one thing you know some people say stay positive some people say go for a walk it's really a pain in the ass because mm. sometimes someone says positive to me and i like to be positive but it is that word is really getting on my wick at the minute <laughs> so talk us a bit about what you're up to in sky blues in the community yeah, so this is a new role um, I started in December. I mean, from what I was talking about before, I went to learn, well, I worked in learning disabilities, then at a psychiatric intensive care unit, and then at perinatal. So I've done a kind wow. of broad range. Yeah, yeah. And then, and so now I've come to, the, to this role. Um, so as I said, I started in December, and this is the first time um, to Skybridge in the community, the official kind of charity. Um, linked to obviously Coventry City Football Club and this is the first time they've advertised for the mental health coordinator role that 
that I've, I've got. Um, and that's come off the back essentially of funding from the National Lottery. So they've funded £371,000. Um, Good old National yeah. Lottery. For the, for the club to, well, for the um, Skybooters in the community to introduce a five year program targeting um, men's mental health. So <clears throat> essentially, the evidence base um, is, is kind of massive to show that men are quite hard to reach. And I think the suicide rate is higher in men. It's the biggest kind of cause of death for men under 50. Um, so it's, it's a really kind of difficult group to engage. And if, if, we, if we're not engaging men, then there's clearly serious outcomes that, that are preventable. Why do you think so, that is? Why do you think that is, Robert, with men? Why do you think it's higher in men? I think I think that men struggle to talk and they struggle to talk because there's an internalized stigma that they need to be strong or, or the breadwinner or not show emotions or that emotions are feminine so they're pushed away or contained and and they then because they don't talk about it it builds up and it becomes unmanageable and then very uncontained and then it, it kind of gets to a point where it's it's gone too far and they feel the only option because they can't talk about it and haven't had support. The only kind of release or way out from that is is to do the the kind of the worst thing you can do and take take your own life. And I think that's that's a big player. It's that internalized feeling of I can't show emotions and emotions aren't for men. Whereas it's not the case. Everyone feels emotions and, yeah. and men just tend to to shut them away or don't have the opportunity to have the conversations. I think men do talk in, in different contexts. I think, you know, you, you, if you get a man to a to a pub or in a, in a dressing room... Pub? What's that? Rooms, yeah. <laughs> and this is, this is the issue, like you touched on, people are struggling at the moment. Yeah. Because we've it's reduced that opportunity for interaction and, and, and conversations. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think it, it's more difficult to, to get into those contexts and have those emotional conversations. I think it can be good for social interaction and inclusion to, to be able to go out and meet up with the mates but um it does it, and it's a good point because for men you know we could all say we go to the pub yeah you know you go in with your mates but there is something quite cathartic in it and i know i'm not talking about getting pissed but there's something quite cathartic just sitting down with one of your mates or a few of your mates just talking about the football mm. other things other than family because your wife, as much as you love her, or you might not love her, uh, as much as you get on with her, you can only sort of have those com- sort of family conversations. Now, with mm. guys, we know guys' conversations can be quite funny, uh, uh, you know, could be quite rude. Anything can happen with guys' conversation, but it's a guys' conversation. And we're not getting that outlet, are we, at the minute? And it is a big, it is a big deal, I think, for a lot of men. Oh, 100%. And I think you touched on it really well. It's being able to have a different conversation that's away from, from the norm, like your home environment. And if, if, if you're a man that's, that's struggling, and what we, so what we find with depression is we tend to ruminate and fixate on the past and things that have happened and stay in that kind of headspace. With anxiety, we tend to worry about things in the future that are outside of our control and that kind of excessive worrying. So we're kind of either in the past or in the future, not necessarily in the moment. Yeah. So when you can when you can get together and have those different conversations and and speak to your friends and, and chat about the football, it pulls you away from kind of rumination and pulls you away from worry and just allows you to be in the moment and enjoying it and having those, like you say, those experiences that you may not typically get if you're at home. Um, and it's yeah, like we say at the moment, it's kind of becoming possible and things are getting, I think, 
as you touched on at the start, it's almost harder this lockdown because it's been, you've had that taste of things going back to normality and it's almost been pulled back from us again. And the yeah. opportunity for inclusion and stuff is, is vastly reduced. Now, obviously you're going to do this course and this, tell us a bit about this course. So it, like I say, it includes uh, activity as well as talking about mental health, which is great. Yeah, so as I say, it's funded by the National Lottery for five years. So what we're going to be doing is we're going to be offering a kind of six-week intervention, and that will be um, a session every week for about two hours. So I've got, um, alongside myself, I've got a senior community coach, uh, Jack Clemens, and so he's going to be delivering the activities element of of the mentor sessions. So that'll be, um, say, the first 90 minutes of the two hours, it'll be activity-based, and that could be... um, it could be football, it could be badminton, basketball, it could be dance, it could be art, it could be anything. What we really want to emphasise is this isn't just for fans of Coventry City or just for people that like sport. This is We want it to be inclusive and we want to co-produce it with the people that come through the door. So it can, it can really take any form in that respect. And then I will um, lead the kind of mental health workshops, which will be in a kind of breakout room, a bit more of a private space, where we kind of focus on particular topics per week. So I think we kind of outlined, or in my head, I was thinking of looking at, uh, say, depression, anxiety, stress, self-compassion, sleep, kind of physical health and behaviour change. Um, But again, if people come through and they say, you know, a lot of us are really struggling or or I notice themes that they're struggling with relationships or social communication or uh, substance misuse, then we can tailor the sessions to kind of suit, you know, we may not necessarily need to do uh, stress management because it might not be a feature where a substance misuse may be, or maybe substance misuse can be kind of brought into stress management and we can talk about it as how it's a coping mechanism and just essentially like the activities, co-produce it with the people that come through so that we can have the biggest impact and concentrate on the issues that are um, troubling the, the blokes in our community. Yeah. So that, that's that's the kind of premise of the the initial six weeks. So like I say, the, the 90 minutes of activities and then the workshop. Um, and then following that, we're looking to introduce a maintenance session, um, which will be ongoing. So that'll be on a weekly basis. That'll just be kind of the activity that Jack and I will, will be there for and run. Um, and then individuals can can choose to come along to that as and when if they want to kind of stay involved with the group and, and skybooks in the community um they're more than more than welcome to and that like i say that'll be ongoing so there's no kind of six week limit on that that will just be yeah. every week how do how do people get onto the course so referrals are, are kind of directly to me so people can self-refer it's also gone out to kind of the healthcare professionals so healthcare professionals yeah. can refer in as well um there's a form on the ccfc.co.uk site um okay. i'll put the, links i'll put links in the, yeah. the podcast anyway i would guess you you're gonna get a lot <laughs> i think you're gonna get a lot mate yeah well i've had i mean the the kind of what we've had through so far is really encouraging and really positive. I've had a, um, a lot of referrals. We've, we've filled up a couple of cohorts. So it's really, really pleasing, but also shows, shows the need and shows why we're doing this and the importance of doing this. Um, so it's, yeah, it's looking really good so far, but we still need, you know, we're going to be, this is a five-year program. We still need to kind of get, get the message out there and, and tell people that we're doing this. Um, and I think one important thing as well is, you know, if there, if there are, ladies listening to the podcast or, or they've seen it on social media it's really important to kind of not think oh it's just for blokes but step back and think you know is there anyone in your life is there a friend or 
a family member or you know brother or partner that might benefit from this but wouldn't have the confidence or be able to say actually i'm i'm struggling at the minute and you know yeah and what i love about the course is is the fact that it's not like saying i need help it's a course where you're doing sports and activities and talking yes talking about mental health but there's no stigma to it it's quite you know i would think if i was struggling it'd definitely be something like i'd come and speak to you guys or get in touch from a doctor because it sounds a real interesting because i think like you said before the stigma is what guys get wound up about is the fact that there's a stigma to it whereas with this course it seems a lot more free-flowing a lot more inviting and i think you're gonna you know get some cracking people coming along that usually probably wouldn't ask for help which is a great that can only be a good thing can't it and that's that's what we're hoping for i mean that's why we kind of emphasize that we want it to be open and, and welcoming and, and that warm environment and also like i say not just sports based if people you know we'll, we'll shape this to to fit the needs and, and the wants of the people so that it does feel kind of inclusive um and i think that that's really important I mean, if we can therefore target some people and get some people through the door that wouldn't like you say access services then we're going to kind of be able to start pulling down those statistics and that unfortunate statistic that kind of men don't access services and it gets to that point where you know we get the worst outcome yeah definitely so, I'm really confident in our in our ability to do that and have a massive impact for Coventry and Warwickshire. Now you say that if people notice, so it might not be the person that's watching this, it might be someone they're thinking about. What sort of things should people look out for in other people if they think they're struggling? I think definite kind of, if we, we know our friends and we know the people that were kind of in our circle and that, our family and stuff and if you can kind of identify that there's been a change or that somebody's a little quieter or they've stepped or maybe they're not doing things that they were typically used to enjoy or engaging in the activities they might have engaged in or they're noticeably struggling at work um i think definitely a, kind of that withdrawal is a big element it's typically in kind of low mood because often people have these thoughts of um i can't do this i'm struggling and then they feel kind of um that feelings of low mood and sadness and then physically they feel lethargic and then their behavior is to withdraw um so kind of identifying that avoidance and withdrawal um would would be quite key and probably one of the most obvious signs um but also i think um a quick to notice sign of, of somebody that's struggling is, is irritability snapping and, and not being able to kind of manage or regulate their emotions as, as they would have typically so i think um yeah look look for changes in behavior and and, and don't be afraid to ask because i think as we say this is called mentor it's it's important to be able to facilitate those conversations if you if you even if you just got a slight idea that somebody might be struggling um or like a gut feeling and if they're not it doesn't matter because you're still having a conversation and just checking in with someone and i think with men in particular always ask twice i think that's the golden rule because <laughs> yeah. If, if I turn around to you and said, Lee, how are you doing? You'd be like, oh, yeah, not, not bad, mate. I said, Lee, I've, you know, you've you got a, a black eye. and, and <laughs> yeah, the white. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I've noticed you've been a bit quiet recently. Are, are you sure you, you're doing all right? And typically on that second question, if you show that investment and, and the kind of care and, and that you're there and have that listening ear, um, you'll, you'll get a better response on the second ask. 
Yeah, that's a great bit of advice because we do it day in, day out. How are you? Fine. How are you? Yeah, I'm okay. It's ridiculous how we often we do it. I do it all the time. Yeah. And uh, like I say, if you ask again, it's like, really, how are you? Then people, it, it sort of gets into their subconscious and they're like, actually, I'm not feeling too bright. Mm. And I think what you say is so true and I speak to these specialists and we always say you must talk which is easier said than done sometimes. But I think the biggest thing is if you know someone and you think they're struggling, what you've got to realize is if you don't say something and something happens, you are always going to have to live with that thought of, I knew I should have said something. So you're far better off saying something than just staying quiet. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, we can't go back. We can't go back in life, can we? And I think, and that's where I'm saying, if you know, even if it's a, it doesn't matter if you're you're wrong and they're absolutely fine. If you've got that gut feeling, um, ask the question and ask it twice. I think is what I'd say. And as far as ourselves, in a, like I say, we're all struggling. What sort of things can we do for ourselves to try and help with our mental health state at the minute? We need to, I think. So I kind of touched on it um, in terms of my previous experience. Um, we need to be kinder to ourselves and actually acknowledge that this situation is difficult and that that's okay and we can kind of be struggling with it and don't don't get get into that mindset where you're thinking oh i should be able to cope with this i should be managing with this this is silly it's just that we're having to stay at home actually no this is unprecedented it's not happened before you know people are on furlough that usually had structure and routine that and all that's changed and they've lost that kind of element of our lives this is really crap and really difficult allow yourself to acknowledge that and don't beat yourself up over kind of how you're feeling because as i say if you're being critical you you automatically feel threatened you feel more anxious the situation in itself is anxiety provoking it just ends up cycling so it's just important to kind of try and snap out of that mindset be compassionate use those affirmations so you know i'm doing my best i'm pushing on i'm still here i'm still cracking through it and i think doing engaging in activities that you know you enjoy and that help you because often i think if we're feeling crap we just want to sit there and, and don't do nothing and don't have any interaction whereas i think trying to push against that and do something that is fun that is kind of has a self-care element to it while we might not want to do it going into it always after doing it we feel better yeah always um, and i think um again as, as i was saying we, with depression we tend to ruminate with anxiety we tend to kind of worry about the future i think uh practicing mindfulness is something that has really supported my mental health um and i always looked at mindfulness it's, it's a weird one i always thought about it in terms of kind of close your eyes imagine you're at a beach with your toes in the sand and i personally that works for a lot of people and and um fair play for for people it does it doesn't really resonate with me i find it quite difficult to do that um but i think through my work i learned that mindfulness is actually paying attention uh in a particular way on purpose and in the present moment which is essentially kind of dragging your attention muscle dragging your brain to the here and now rather than the past to the future that you have no control over um and so there's a kind of particular ways of doing that or bolting that onto things that you already do so it doesn't need to be that you have to sit down and do 30 minutes meditation what i like to do in the morning the first thing i'll do is i'll make a cup of tea and i'll, I'll do it as a mindful exercise 
I'll, I'll kind of notice what I can hear. I'll listen to the kettle and, and on purpose and intently, and then I'll feel the warmth of the cup and how that feels coming through. And then the, the, the feeling of the kind of kitchen floor on my, on my toes and what I can smell. And then when I'm having the tea, what I can taste, you know, really tuning into the elements of it. And, and by being that focused, you're allowing those kind of anxious thoughts to dissipate and go away and, and kind of not, get stuck in that rumination cycle you're just being present and it is able to kind of lift your mood and, and support you and kind of just drag you back into into focus a little bit yeah that's that's again great advice because this year for me i hate new year new year's resolutions but i did say i'm going to get more into meditation because I've, I've been trying for a few years and the ego always says don't do it but like you say it's not People think, oh, you need to do meditation. No, mindfulness is a totally different. Well, it's it's not. To, it, meditation is part of that, but there's so many ways we can be mindful. Mm. Don't put the telly on. Don't look at social media for ten minutes. Sit out, wrap up. Sit outside. Take in what the sounds. Yeah. You know, go and smell. You. I know it sounds corny, but the smells and what you're looking at, and think about that because we go through life. And we just fire through it. And you look back on the day, what did I do today? I can't remember. Oh, maybe I was on Facebook for half an hour. Maybe I did this, maybe that. And even if you just give yourself just 10, 15 minutes, we talk about physical exercise and people are like, oh, I'm not exercising. Just go for a five-minute walk, just mm. up and down the road and just look around and take in what you're looking at instead of it because you've got so many things in your mind and you're trying to think of one thing. I'm, I'm terrible for it because I'm a creative. I'm trying to think of one thing while something else is coming in. And somehow, so I've got no clarity. Mm. And what, what mindfulness does, it gives you that little bit of clarity. And I think it's so important what you said, just making a cup of tea brilliant example how many times do we think about what we're doing when we make a cup of tea we don't do it we don't give a shit as long as it tastes all right <laughs> just yeah. something like that and i think that's a great example and people need th and the other thing what i would say is the resources out there are phenomenal now mm. especially on the internet for mindfulness meditation and things like that so there's no excuse years ago We'd have to go to the library, find the little corner where there was probably two books that we didn't understand. There's so much help out there now for mindfulness. Um, so it's you know that is a great example what you what you've just given there. And it really does work because it's it's something that can be like I said, it's really I know from from myself because starting out I was a little bit skeptical, doing it, noticing the effects, and like wow. Because sometimes on a Sunday night, I'd lie in bed and I'd think. Oh God, I've got so much to do next week. I've got this patient to see. I've got four case notes to write. I've got an assessment to complete. And then I catch myself and I pull my, I, I pull myself into the present, notice what I can feel, and all of that anxiety. When I finish, it goes and I go to sleep. Yeah. Um, and I think you, your example is perfect. And again, I've said this to a patient in the past. I said, go for a walk and walk as a tourist, because ha when when you go on holiday, you're looking around, you notice everything. You're like, oh look at that. Oh, that's you know. Amazing. It's different to kind of at home. Whereas if we walk in our own environment, we just tend to kind of go out and just try and get to our destination. Whereas you'll be amazed what you can see if you step out your door and imagine you're on holiday and walk as that kind of tourist and see, notice the things that, that are around you because you'll see things that you never knew were there and hadn't tuned into that probably would have been there for years. I, I went for a walk with um, someone a few months ago, just around the local area. And I was like, I never knew there was a whole farm there. Like, well, <laughs> I never noticed yeah, that. Yeah, I know, I know. It's 
crazy, isn't it? Because we just don't tune in. Yeah, it's, it's, it is a, a, a perfect, perfect example. Now, another thing I wanted to touch on is routine. Do you think routine's important? Give us a bit of an idea of, of, of what your thoughts are on routine, because I think it is important, but how people perceive it, I don't really... Is it important that we have some kind of routine? Is it got to be a large routine, a small routine, just something simple? What What's your thoughts on that? Personally, um, and I, again, from my experience, I've, I find routine useful. Um, and that can be in, in any form. It could be that in the morning, um, I'm going out for a walk. In the afternoon, I'm going to prep dinner. In the evening, I'm going to watch TV program. Or it could be that I've got loads of work to do this is what I'm going to set myself to do throughout the day. Um, but what I always try and do if I create a routine is break it down into manageable chunks. Because if I have a task that seems really overwhelming and I go and try and complete that, often I'll procrastinate or, or not do it. <laughs> yeah. It just feels like too much. Um, whereas if you break it down into little chunks, it feels like you're ticking more off and you're succeeding more and then you're able to kind of achieve that end goal. And one really interesting thing is that research has found that we get a hit of dopamine, which is like our kind of neurotransmitter for pleasure, essentially, like reward, um, when we complete self-set tasks. So it could be that, um, and, and they can be tiny tasks. It could be that I'm going to say, right, at some point um, in the next half an hour, I'm going to make myself a cup of tea, uh, sit down and read 10 pages of a book. If I complete those three things, at each stage, I'll get a tiny um, hit of dopamine in my brain, which is reinforcing and makes me feel better. And it's like, like I say, you've achieved something. So you can break any routine or anything that you have to do down into tiny little chunks and get something positive at each step, if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think it's really important in the world that we're in now. And like I say, with people on furlough and and the difficulties of kind of the lockdowns, I think it's important now more than ever to schedule in things to do and to try and yeah. create a bit of routine um and it could be anything it could be something entirely non-productive it could be i'm going to spend an hour on my playstation but in the morning i'm going to walk for an hour or going to read for an hour in the afternoon it's just having something in place so that you don't feel so lost and uncontained and not really sure which direction you're traveling you know you're kind of working towards something and you're going to complete something and do something um so that that would be kind of my take on it um and i always think kind of scheduling in some exercise and and getting out is is good because i think we can feel almost trapped in our environment at the moment and getting out and clearing your head i think is really important yeah definitely i'll tell you a great um i was just checking it out a minute ago there's a great ted talk ted talks if people don't know on youtube there's great ted talks 50 minutes long 15 minutes long uh, and they're always about something specific but the, the talkers are fantastic and there's one on there uh, if you put in how to achieve your most ambitious goals i'll put a link in the podcast his name's Stephen Dunyer, and he talks about small steps and this guy is phenomenal he thought he learned at a young age that if he just broke things down into small steps he could actually achieve anything and this yeah. guy went on to achieve everything he desired he became a pilot 
just bring bringing everything that is in the Guinness World Book of Records, but it's a fantastic talk. And it's like he said, you don't have to be a genius. Look at where you want to be, where you are now, and as long as you make those little steps every day, you're going to get nearer and nearer. And there's no way around it. You are going to get to where you want to go because every day you're – and I know that's on a big scale, but on a smaller scale, it's exactly the same, isn't it? 100%. Yeah, you know, it, it, it is. It's interesting because I, I had this conversation with uh, – when I worked in Perinatal, a wonderful colleague, um, and she was – really stressed and, and not I remember saying I don't know where I'm going I don't have any direction I'm, I'm in this particular kind of it was an assistant practitioner role um, I don't know what I want to do with my life and no, well it was more how, how to get there and so I sat down and we said well, what, is, what, what are your options she was like, a paramedic um, general nursing mental health nursing I said okay so what let's kind of pros and cons all of these and so we went through it paramedic was struck off because um she couldn't do nights she'd done nights in a previous job wasn't for her uh general nursing something she's interested in physical health she's interested but uh it, it was mental health was the kind of where she was at where a lot of experience and kind of passion was kind of sat at so we decided on the option and i said well, well how do we get there it's just like no i don't know it just feels like too much too big it's a big kind of aspiration to yeah. such a journey i said right well let's break it down what do you need how do you get on this what options are available and essentially we broke it down to the fact that she needs to get a qualification in um maths or something because she had a foundation degree but needed some extra thing she needed to then uh talk to the nhs trust that actually offer the course paid and then kind of go through the process of uh, interviewing and, and doing all that later down the line. So we identified the first goal was, right, you need to go and get this mass qualification. Within, I think, three hours, she'd emailed off, been accepted onto the course, and then had, I think, eight weeks. When did she start it? Uh, before Christmas. So she found out that she passed this qualification um, just after Christmas. And all of a sudden, it was this goal. She never thought she'd get this mass because she didn't think that she was good at it. She didn't think this dream was kind of achievable because it felt so big she'd gone from being really overwhelmed and not knowing what to do to actually on a kind of live journey where she's ticked something off she's had the meeting with the trust in regards to the course they've confirmed that she can do it and actually because she's got a foundation degree she can do it over two years rather than three it will be paid part placement so she can carry on working um and that it will be starting in september so just from that one conversation of let's yeah. break this down and see what we can do with it it, it, it has massive knock-on effects and, and it can really allow and support achievement and attainment. Yeah. But often we just kind of look at things like, wow, that feels really big and really heavy and I could never do that. You can do it. You just need to take the, the little steps and get up there. There's, and there's no achievement. There's no achievement without embarrassment either. I think embarrassment is your right of passage to success Definitely. because we all, we all start at the bottom and start somewhere and, and have to, to work towards them. Definitely. Now, if people are struggling out there, maybe the I don't know, we're all struggling, like I say, but there's different levels of struggle. What sort of advice, what's the best bit of advice or that you, you think you could give to people at, at this minute? Because I know the big thing is there is light at the end of the tunnel. Lots of people have been vaccinated. Um, and again, it's easy to say, stay positive. Some people are probably holding back because they don't want to get hopeful. What sort of advice do you think you could give, Robert? 
I think there's a couple of things. We haven't really touched on it, but I think exercise is your superpower. Yeah. Um, and we can all do it. And the effects of exercise are massive. So the short-term effects, is there's loads of research you can go out and read. We've got a, a kind of hypothalamic pituitary adrenal access in our nervous system, which modulates our stress That's response. a big, big word. Yeah. <laughs> That's the HPA axis, essentially. A HPA. Right. So that controls our, our response to stress, so that, and that releases kind of cortisol and such. Exercise, it sounds counterintuitive, is stressful, right? So that releases cortisol when we exercise. The great thing about this HPA axis is that it's a negative feedback loop. So when so much cortisol gets released, it triggers the, the nervous system to deregulate, right? So to reduce the levels of cortisol. So when you exercise and you're, you're increasing your cortisol and you're, you're going through that physical stress, when you finish, it de your system deregulates and there's that period of buffer where it needs to kind of calm down before it can actually release any more cortisol. And what research has shown is that when people exercise, if they then go to uh, to work or, or encounter stress, whether that's psychological, physical, whatever, if they encounter stress, they have lower levels of cortisol. It literally has a direct reduction in, in stress. And then more kind of very uh, immediate effects of exercise, it increases levels of dopamine and serotonin neurotransmitters, which are kind of massively associated with um depression obviously that's the, the point of antidepressants is to increase serotonin exercise is your natural serotonin booster um, and it does that immediately but also has a long-term effect in increasing the level of the neurotransmitters um, kind of existing in the brain yeah. so and there's no excuse there's no excuse i know people this really annoys some people about this exercise thing and it's the people who are lazy bastards uh, <laughs> but there's no excuse you've got stairs go up and down them oh if you're in a bungalow do some star jumps clean up clean the house you always feel better i hate cleaning i hate it but afterwards i'm like oh done a good job there <laughs> when no, it really happens you don't need to be a triathlete you do not need to be a triathlete half an hour three or four times a week I mean, the long-term effects, your prefrontal cortex involved in decision-making, focus, attention, it actually creates new cells and increases your matter in the prefrontal cortex, as well as in your temporal lobe, hippocampus, forming and kind of retaining memories. It increases the matter there, which is, and I think those two areas of the brain, um, they are the areas most susceptible to neurodegenerative conditions later on in life. We're, we're kind of protecting ourselves against dementia and kind of further conditions by doing that work now and like i say half an hour three or four times a week it's our superpower to kind of prevent and um support with mental health problems as well as kind of prevent health problems further down the line so i think definitely exercise is one thing i'd say if you if you can and um if it's possible get out and do that but other than that connect with people talk to people um don't just kind of send a text i think in these times video call let's have that kind of physical interaction where we can see where we can look at kind of body language i think only 10 percent of communication is verbal yeah um, so just find ways to connect on a, on a better level and reach out to people um i think talk so that yeah men talk exercise and chat <laughs> <laughs> there you go easy yeah. easy and chatting is like you say it's just such a such a simple thing and there's no excuse now we've all got video call and everybody's doing it i mean zoom is free 
Um, and it's just connect, connect. Text is so lazy in messaging. And we do it. We do it a lot because we need to. It's, it's efficient and it's easy if you're up to something else. But there's no excuse at the minute because we're all stuck at home. So just give it 10 minutes just to actually pick the phone up, talk to someone or video call them. That's, uh, that's a great, great bit of advice. Um, and then, so future boys, we're all in lockdown at the minute, Robert. Your course is going to hopefully we're going to have a start date. The government, I suppose you're waiting on what the government's going to say. What we're going to do is we're going to, um, from the week starting, so in a couple of weeks from the 22nd, um, not sure on the particular day of that week, we're going to start offering things virtually. So right. we'll have okay. a Great. kind of virtual activities session, whether that be a quiz or do something with, with Jack and myself, and then the kind of workshop virtually. But, Instead of waiting on... Yeah, so right. yeah. Ho- hopefully the guidance, I mean, we just have to play that by ear, and then as soon as as soon as they give it the green light, we'll, we'll be, that week we'll, we'll start doing it physically. Yeah, well, I'll put all the links in the podcast anyway, so people can have a look there, but it's an absolutely fantastic course. Uh, I'm so glad to be involved in it, and I'm sure you'll help load, loads of people. It's just great, and the more the National Lottery put their funds out and spread it across the UK, the better, because now it's needed, needed more than ever, without a doubt. Well, look, Robert, thanks so much for your t- time and coming on. I'm so glad I got you on here, because you've, the advice you've been given is, is just great, and it's going to go hand-in-hand hand with all the other specialists this week. Um, and we will hopefully... Next year, we'll see where we are. Get you on the podcast again and, and talk about some of the successes. Yes. Which will be nice, won't it? Which will be that great. Be great. And a bit of normality. Okay, yeah. Robert, you look after yourself. Take care and I'll speak to you soon. Andy, thanks, Lee. So that's it. Massive thanks again to Victoria for joining me today and also for you for listening or watching. Make sure you follow the podcast because, as I say, we've got um, tomorrow and Friday two more mental health episodes and then the week after we've just got some amazing let me tell you interviews i know it's easy for me to say that but trust me some of the journeys are fascinating stuff uh, to keep up to date go on facebook which is more worth thinking podcast instagram is but what podcast twitter is more worth thinking with a three on the end without a g uh, every week I also put the whole conversation on YouTube, uh, just put more I think podcast in there. And finally, if you want to get in touch or you think you'll be a great guest, then just email me at aol.com. I really hope you found today's episode interesting. Uh, just make sure you're listening tomorrow because it's going to get even better. Until next time, God bless. Take care. 